John chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to be talking about work. Work. To some of you, that's a four-letter word. Ay, ay, ay. John chapter 5, the key verse is verse 17, but let me read verses 16 through 18 as well. Do you have it? So because Jesus was doing these things on the what? Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too... And working. Therewith or therefore I work. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And we found out later, earlier, why he had to be equal with God. A number of reasons. But he had to because he was God. Let's pray. Father, I pray you utilize this half hour or so, Lord God, again for the furtherance of your gospel, but the edification of this, your body, Lord God. Give us a heart and a hunger for your powerful, powerful word. I pray your anointing, Lord God, to, to uh, be here, Lord God, and move and illuminate our minds and make us better Christians. And by the sermon today, better workers, laborers in your vineyard. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Praise God. That's just for the tape's cost. For the sake of the tape. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm excited about the sermon here today. And I'm glad that I'm going to have a little more time than usual in that uh, I think it's a very, very insightful sermon, uh, something that we will go away with, uh, again, more illuminated, more mindful, more knowledgeable of God's Word. But we're going to be covering the subject of, of work, but God's style, all right? The way God worked, and how we need to emulate, and how we must copy ourselves after the pattern of God's, how He, you know, how He styled His work here on earth. See, during the time of Christ, okay, his teachings and his, his uh, you know, the things that he would do, it was radical stuff, the teachings of Christ when he was here on earth. It was radical to a lot of the people. And in verse 18, the Jews want to kill him because a lot of his teaching was radical. It was radical. It was, you know, far-fetched when he, when he talked about love, all these different things. When he, he came into a society of public, he came into a society of, of Pharisees and Sadducees, the way that people used to do things and the way he taught was way out. Okay, and one of the things that he taught, one of his teachings was that God and he would work. You say, that's far-fetched, that, that's way out, that's radical? Yes. See, in those days, people of prominence had slaves. They had servants. They call them serfs, serfs up, hallelujah, huh? They had uh, 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 people that would work for them on their payroll. They didn't have to do too much. They had it made in the shade with lemonade. So if you were going to be a king, you didn't have to do too much. Because uh, you were the king. And you ruled over your kingdom. But Jesus says, my kingdom, uh, which is not of this earth. He came and he says, my father works. And I were even on the Sabbath. They go, you're not supposed to. You're, you're supposed to have servants working for you. You're not supposed to work. That's, that's, that's not right. That's radical. Ah, 
You're supposed to have strangers and servants working for you. See, work and greatness just didn't fit. Are you with me? They didn't go together. How can you be great and yet be working? How can you be a king and still working? See, the ancient oriental mentality couldn't for the life of them uh, picture a working God. Never in no way. How can God, who you're saying is your father, how can he work to this very moment? He can't work. He's a king. Somebody should be serving him. But Christ taught us, yes, he can. And yes, he does. He works as his father works. My father works, he says, thus so I work. That was, and listen to me, that was revolutionary in those days. It was, it was revolutionary to the mind, the oriental mentality. By the way, that's one of the reasons why our Victory Outreach homes work. Hallelujah. Because it's godly. Let me work at getting my way over here. It's godly. God works. It's not a four-letter word. It's not a bad word. I mean, not only is prayer godly, not only is fasting godly, not only is witnessing godly, not only is studying God's word godly, but work is very godly. That's why we got to work, guys. I mean, what's good enough for the goose is good enough for the gander. What's good enough for God uh, is good enough for us. If he works, then by golly, we're going to work too. Yeah, we are. Ah. See, and Jesus not only taught work, he lived out that example as well. See, people were able to see Jesus involved in working and in dealing with people's endless needs. He got in there. Christ didn't, you know, do his teachings at some remote academy or, or some isolated college. He didn't. Are you with me? He didn't. Ah, the streets were his was his college. Ah, the, the, the seaside was his classroom. Mm, are you listening to me, Joe Romero? Hallelujah, right? He's a teacher. He knows. Ah, I mean, that's the way Joe teaches. Too. Joe, Joe gets his peoples and he gets in there because it's godly work. See, Christ didn't go off into some isolated monastery or some secluded, exclusive Alpha Omega sorority to do his teaching. No! I'm going to be going to Stanford. Okay. And I'm going to get my degree. Then I'll do my follow-up studies at Cal to get my second degree. And whatever I told you before. Then you come to Victor Outreach and we give you the third degree. Huh? Hallelujah. We'll check you out. <laughs> According to God's word. But are you with me? He didn't, he, God didn't end up in some remote monastery or some academy to do his teachings. Not at all. Ah, he came and dwelt among men, the Bible says. The streets and the open air were his classroom. I remember years ago, I, I, was, I was in Bible college, and I was a little bit older than most of the students there. They were mostly young. Ah, and I was married, and I'd been working in the ministry for a couple of years. And then finally, I talked to Pastor Sonny. He says, well, maybe you should go to Bible college. So I went. And yet I was working in the office as hard as I could work. But I would be in there for the first half of the day. And then I remember I took an evangelism class. And, and you know, and I was in charge of evangelism in Pastor Sonny's church. And I'm taking an evangelism class. And I remember the professor. And God bless him, and God be with him. Uh, you know, he says, 
we're finally going to have an on-the-job training. We're going to have a street meeting over in uh, El Monte. I said, wow, praise God, I'm going to get to go, and I'm going to go take some of the guys from the home, and I'm going to take some of the people from my evangelism uh, team, the, 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 uh, the, what do we used to call them, Josie, the team? The Vitals for Christ. We're going to go out there, we're going to hit it, and, you know. And then I volunteered. I said, we'll go, and he, he, he got all excited, fine. He says, but I won't be there. I go, okay. She said, wow, it's going to be, Wow. He's going to teach us this. And then so, you know, the day was coming. And finally I went up to him and I asked the prof. <laughs> you know, I said, you're not going to go? He goes, no, no, no. Listen, Steve. He says, you have to understand that, you know, I was the, the head of the uh, Spanish Assemblies of God youth. I forgot what the, he was the main guy in charge. The whole youth of the district. And I go, ooh. Boom. You know. And he says, you know, I've, I've already done all that. I'm pastoring now. And, and I am a, a teacher now. And. I go, oh. I said, okay. Then I prayed for the anointing. <laughs> and I started to talk to him. I started, you know what he did? He started to cry. I still remember this. It had to be the anointing. It wasn't me. He started to cry. And he, and he started crying. He says, you know what, Steve? He says, you're right. I'll be there. I'm wrong. That was heavy. I mean, you know, kudos to that guy. Hallelujah. Uh, Man, because he, he repented. Uh, and because that's the way Jesus was. His classroom was out in the streets. It wasn't in some, some, some college someplace. Matter of fact, Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, he worked. And Christ left us some very great examples and teachings about life and about work that we could do well to learn from regarding work here this morning. Now, what are some of those teachings? I'm going to give you four. What are some of the teachings that we can learn about work that Christ taught us, okay? Well, you know, I want to give us four things today regarding work that we can learn from Jesus. Are you ready? Four things. Number one. The number one thing is, and you got to stay with me here, okay, as, as, as I mentioned this to you, is the vast and the large and the big amount of work that he did with a very limited amount of resources. Number one. The vast, the great mission that he had, the great task, that he had before him with very limited amount of resources. That's number one. Doesn't that sound like victory outreach? Yes, it does. I'll say amen for you. Uh, see, Christ was not limited in vision. He had the biggest vision anybody ever had and ever will have. He had a huge vision. He had a big, big mission ahead of him. But the means that he had at his disposal were not that plentiful. Are you, did you hear me? He didn't have a whole lot of resources. He didn't have a whole lot of moolah. Uh, Big vision, little resources uh, to work with. Large vision, limited means. Are you taking notes? Big vision, limited means. Very little resources. See, just take a look at the aim of Christ's vision. And all the work and effort it would take. For God so loved who? The world. That's a big vision. Uh, he said, you, we are the light of Hayward. We are the light of the Bay Area. The world. He had the world at heart. He had the world at his vision. Ah. So my friend, to, to send his followers into all the world and to be a light and a moral example to all that world, that's quite a vision, is it not? That's quite a task at hand. See, 
It would and will require a whole lot of work to reach the world. You know that God is asking you and I to reach the world? He's asking that of us. Ah, the magnitude of his vision, listen to me, was global. Are you listening to me? I told you earlier in the sermon, you're going you're to learn something here, but you've got to listen. And I pay attention. We're, having, we're dealing with work over here. So the magnitude of his vision was global. He wanted, and he wants even today, to set the pattern and the course for a global society in every, every, every respect in life. And if you listen to what I'm saying, that's covering a whole lot of work. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be the salt of the earth. I want you to go to every society on this planet and bring morality to it and bring goodness to it and bring love to it. Every spectrum of society, everywhere. That's a whole lot of vision. Uh, he wants us to be at the forefront morally, morally, socially, spiritually, lawfully, lawfully even. Financially, financially, financially. <laughs> uh, I mean, a third of the Bible, we can make a... Is, it talks about... Finances. And he wants us to be at the forefront on how we handle our finances as well. See, these were the aims and the mission of Christ. Stupendous. Some of them, some people might call it stupidness. Really. Not stupendous. People might even call it stupidness. Far-reaching goals. Some might think that. Uh, high aims. Yes, they are. See, no one and nobody had ever shot so high as Christ did when he walked on this planet. So nobody had ever aimed so big. So wouldn't a work and a job like that require the meanest and sharpest of tools and the most resources? Yes, it would. It would take all kinds of resources to, to, to reach that kind of a name, to reach that kind of a goal. I mean, you think that every, everything is at your disposal, Christ, but it wasn't. What were the means, the resources that Christ had uh, that he could use? That were at his disposal. Did he use a pen? No. The only time he ever wrote was on the sand. And that wasn't even recorded what he said. Uh, did he use a sword? Uh-uh. No, he didn't. Remember when they came to take him to the, the cross and arrest him? What did Pete the Heat do? Uh, the great, 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 great grandfather of Nicky Cruz. Chuck! Out of the switchblade. He aimed for the head. Remember that? But the guy moved a little bit, so he got, his, he got his ear. And what did you just say? Yeah! No, he didn't. He said, put that thing back, Jack. He said, if I wanted to, I could call down a, a, a thousand legion angels. Legion of angels. But my kingdom is not of this planet, not of this world. Uh, put that sword back. He didn't use a sword. He didn't use a pen. He didn't use a sword. Uh, not at all. Did he have fat bank? We can identify with that one. Huh? <laughs> that's really Victor Outreach. Ay, ay, ay. Canta y llores. Hallelujah. Hope you, that's those of you that understand Spanish. <laughs> uh, oh, Jesus. He didn't have fat bank. Matter of fact, when he had to pay his taxes, what did he do? Uh, he has Dennis ready to go fishing. That's what he did. He said, go fishing. The first fish you catch, open up his mouth, and we'll have enough for the tribute right there. He didn't even have the money. He was broke, in a sense. Uh, so he didn't have fat bank at his disposal. Uh, not at all. Did he have the most eloquent and educated of men as his first disciples? 
Not at all. Uh, Bible says he, and I've preached on this before, he bypassed the universities. Walked past them. Even the synagogues. Where did he go? To the wharf. Uh, he went down here to, uh, to the marketplace. Uh, went to the seat of customs, told Matthew, follow me. Two words. Two words. And Matthew got up, left his seat, the Bible says, left, his, left everything and followed him. Why? Because Matthew was very tired. Anybody tired here today? Jesus is telling you, follow me. You're tired? That's all. That's what I'm saying. Follow me. Uh, he won't burn you. Matthew already knew that. Uh, so Matthew just shh, followed him. He went down to, to where Peter and James and John were fishing. Said the same thing. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He bypassed the colleges. He bypassed the universities. Even the churches of the day. The synagogues. Uh, he went down to where the tire meets the road. See, odds and everything else were totally stacked against him. Impossible, if you will. To try and achieve his high goals, his high purposes, his high great vision, his great mission. Remember, the, what was the mission? The world. And it would seem like, come on, he's not even going to use a pen. He's not going to use a sword. He's not going to use fat bank. He's not going to use the most educated people. It doesn't make sense. It's got to make faith. That's always the key. See, thus, my friend, it is Christ's... Uh, Magnitude of mission versus the meager means that he had to get that work done that first gets our attention. That's why it's point number one about work. Okay? He had meager means, but he had a big magnitude of mission. And that's what every Christian believer should learn and try to follow and try to emulate from the life and toil and work of Jesus. Don't go looking for something you know, and I've, I've teach this in our level four classes, our phase four classes. I tell all our ministers, and when I teach them, I tell them, listen, guys, go with the deck God has dealt you. But a lot of our guys go out. I mean, I, I just got back from India. I talked to Sister Julie this morning. She, her, she called for Josie, and Josie wasn't available, so I took advantage. And she said, what happened in India? And I was telling her what was going on in India. But I told her, they just had a church split a little bit. She goes, a church split? They're so small. I said, well, the brother didn't, you know, he tried to go with a hand God not, had not dealt him. He tried to use somebody that looked real good and real pretty, uh, but wasn't with him. And we, we, a lot of times we do this. We try and deal the hand, that, go with the hand that God hasn't dealt with us. Uh, we, instead of having the resources he's given us, we want, oh, ooh, look at that brother. He wears ties. Uh, he brushes his teeth. God can use him here. Uh, and we, 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 we do all these things. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go out looking for the... He went with meager means to reach a great magnitude of mission. And we got to learn that as Christians and as, as workers. If we are Christ's, then count on having big faith with minimum resources. Did you hear me? If you're a Christian, then count on having big faith versus minimum resources. Count on having high hopes with few resources. See, the Marines have got nothing on genuine Christianity. The few, the proud. Uh, well, we're the few, the loud. Hallelujah. Uh, if we are Christ, we cannot measure our possibilities by what we have, by our resources. Ooh, la la, so soon. I like that. 
If you belong, if you're a Christian, you can't measure your possibilities by what you have. Not at all. Look at John chapter 6, verse 9. Just one chapter over. John chapter 6, verse 9. And I've preached on this before. Matter of fact, God's given me another sermon on these scriptures, and I'm going to be preaching it pretty soon. John chapter 6, verse 9. Do you have it? Look at verse, I'll begin reading in verse 7. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough tortillas, hallelujah, for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? In other words, man, you know, we, we, that's, that's, Jesus, that's, that's nothing. What do I like to say in Spanish? Nuna, tuna, nothing. This is neurogranya, nothing. That's what it means in English, neurogranya, nothing. You mean we're going to take the world with five small loaves and two small fish? Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Just in case you didn't hear me. Yes. It's biblical. A little bit of faith with a whole lot of God. You don't need a lot of resources. Just the other day, you know how I got to India? Some of you have told the story. I talked to my wife and I said, I got to go to India. And she said, do we have it on the budget? She knows we didn't. I said, no, you know we don't. You're, you handle the books. And she said, well, you're going to have to pray. I said, I know, I already have. And I hung up. Then I went, we were having a minister's meeting. And I told the guys, that was my wife, sorry, I had to talk to her. But I told her I got to go to India, but I ain't got no. We don't have the money, brothers. And one brother got up, he raised his hand, he says, I'll have the money for you tomorrow. What are the ministers? That's how we got to India. And this guy knows about faith, because he's been with me since the beginning. Uh, he knows. Uh, he, 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 I know what he's doing. He's a great disciple. He knows my heart. He knows, he knows his ministry like nobody's business. So he knows it was God. That's why he answered. He says, go do it. Uh, praise God. We've taught for so long. Now they got it. Some of you are going to get the very same thing that we got here. You're going to get it. You're going to make it a little bit easier for us to do what we got to do. Uh, see, when you're Christ's, your grasp must always exceed your reach. Always. If you're a Christian, your grasp must always exceed your reach. Secondly, and we're moving slow here. The second thing that we can learn from Christ regarding work was his ceaseless, untiring labor coupled with unparalleled poise. Did you hear me? His ceaseless, untiring labor, his work, coupled a part of unparalleled poise. I have a sermon called Poise in the Noise. I like that sermon. Someday I'll preach it again. Poise in the Noise. In other words, like, I like what Nicky Cruz says. Some of you have heard him. He says, my Jesus is stiff. My Jesus is stiff. My Jesus is cool, man. He's cool. My Jesus is cool. I said, well, I want my Jesus to be cool too, Nicky. Uh, and Nicky speaks from experience. He knows what he's talking about. He says, don't panic. They can be all right, but you can have poise in the noise. Nothing could distract him. Nothing could detour him. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, listen, we've been at this thing for 17 years, going on 18 years in Hayward. And if we don't emulate, if I wouldn't be able to emulate things like this, I'd be like a turkey through a cornfield. Gone, gone, gone. It's not easy. We haven't had our building for 17 years. But you got to stick to it. Unceasing labor. 
Uh, see, Jesus' ministry was so big, and we already talked about it, so vast, so varied, and yet nothing, nothing could hinder him. He'd teach in synagogues, he'd preach in the streets, patiently, he dealt with his disciples, patiently, he dealt with his disciples, patiently, he dealt with his disciples, patiently, he waited for his disciples. Years ago, I, I preached at a conference, and I talked about Pastor Sonny, you know, I was giving kudos, hallelujah, is that the right word? Giving, what do you call it? You know, real not good things, you know, uh, I, to Pastor Sonny, and I said, Pastor Sonny's like, you know, he's like 10 years ahead of us. 15 years later, we get there, and he's 20 years ahead of us. Ah, I hope you understood that. But he's been patient with us. Thank God for Pastor Sonny like that, waiting, waiting for us to grow up. Uh, and if he's been like that with me, then I need to be with that, like that with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Because that's the way Jesus was. He was always working, doing all kinds of stuff, but he'd exercise patience. He'd walk to work, sometimes even on water. Want to see who's awake. Ah, yet he never unwavered. Oh, I like that one. He never unwavered, even on water. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Ah, and get this, get this. He only had three and a half years of which to fulfill his entire work. Talk about being on a schedule. Talk about being on a tight schedule. My goodness. Ah, but never in the pages of the Bible do we find Jesus panicking. He doesn't panic. Huh? Christ had so much to do. But panic and anxiety was not one of them. I like that. I'm going to read that again. Jesus had so much to do, but panic was not one of them. Uh, anxiety was not one of them. See, we've already covered what his mission was. It was a global influencing mission, was it not? The whole world. But he was not sweating it. I like that. Don't panic. I have a saying. Keep it on cruise control. Uh, you know, where did I get that from the Bible? What's going to happen to the crap feet? The crap feet. And what's going to happen? The bills are going to hear. Don't worry. Be praying. Don't worry. Uh, that would be a good song, Tim. Be praying. Uh, <laughs> See, with all its schedule and all of its movements, I'm talking about the life of Christ. Still, there was never a life as peaceful and as patient as the life of Jesus. With all of its to-do, with all of its schedule, and he was cool. See, Jesus finds the time to preach. He finds the time to pray. He finds the time, my friend, to heal. And even the time to play. Each hour is full of work. Uh, and he finds peace in everything he does. Uh, see, Christ could utter every day, every day he could say these very words. It is finished. Every day. He could lay down, and then now I lay me down to sleep. I pray myself to, my soul to keep, hallelujah. Uh, because every day he did what he was supposed to do. He was right on schedule. Remember, we've studied that before. He was very time conscious. My time has not yet come. But you can't remind he was very time conscious. But he did what he had to do. And he didn't panic. What a life. Ah. Uh, See, that to us, to you and I, is, is a genuine example of untiring labor, yet with a poised, patient calm. Uh, and, I, and I've seen it with so many people, especially in ministry, because I've been involved in this thing for going on 25, 20 years now. And I see some of the guys, they come and they, they think, ah, what's happening over here? What's and then they deal with me, and I'm just real. 
So they think something's wrong with me. Really. I bet people think they think something's wrong with me. Ask my wife. Uh, what's wrong with Steve? How come he's not blowing it? Doesn't he understand we got it? Yes, I do. More so than you, Mr. and Mrs. But hey, all I can do is all I can do. Shaka. That's it. Uh, I'm not going to panic. There's always tomorrow. Uh, yes, there is. We'll be all right. See, be it far from us as Christians, genuine Christians, that we should exceed, my friend, our grace level regarding work to the point and to the place where we're working ever so much that we lose touch with the way Jesus worked. Did you hear me? Be it far from us that we should be working so hard that we end up losing touch. And I didn't say with Jesus. I said with the way Jesus worked, the way he did things. Uh, that's not a good Christian testimony. I've preached on this before. Christianity, if you're going to learn anything here, learn this one. Christianity is a process of progress. I've preached on that before. Using the, the five talents, the, the two talents, the one talent. The failure and the sin of the guy with one talent is that he failed to progress. That's it. Christianity is a process of progress. You got to grow. Little by little, but you got to grow. Uh, it's not a race. Did you hear me? It's not necessarily. It's a process of progress. What I'm trying to say is what the Bible is saying that Christianity should be a labor of love. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Christianity should be a labor of what? Love. When they sang that song today, it went right along with the sermon here. The beginning part of, you know, Jesus will still be there. It's a labor of love. It's all done with love. Unto the Lord, not unto man. Remember I've told you before, when I was in the men's home, they had a big old scripture right over the table where we used to eat. Seven times a day. So I read it seven times a day. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto man. Because if you do it unto man, you're going to panic. Pastor Steve said, Pastor Steve said, Pastor Steve said, Pastor Sonny said, Pastor Sonny. The elders, the elders, everybody. everybody. Do it unto the Lord. And if you fall behind, catch up. I've told you before, in Christianity, I'd rather get behind God than ahead of God. Because you get ahead of God, you can lose him. He'll hide. I'll tell you, he'll hide from you. But if you get a little behind, at least you can see him. Oh, okay, 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 I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Uh, process of progress. Uh, everything should be done without panic and in God's peace. See, labor done in love is work without turmoil. Toil without turmoil. Genesis, you don't got to turn to it, but in Genesis 29, 20, that's when, remember when, Jacob was working for Rachel. Remember that? The Bible says he worked seven years, but yet it seemed like only a few days. He worked hard for seven years, but it was only a few days. Why? Because it was a labor of love. When you're laboring in love, it doesn't matter. Uh, you give what you got to give. You do what you got to do. But you don't even feel it. It's a labor of love. Patience. Poison the noise. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. Okay. Number three. And we're moving fast. Number three. The third thing that we want to cover here. Okay. My goodness, hold on one second here. I'm going to skip the page. Don't want to do that? The third thing that we see in the work of Jesus was that it was a message and a mission for everybody, and yet it was still personal. All for one. 
Remember, his mission is the what? The world. But yet he can get very personal. It was a mission for all, and yet for one at the same time. See, Christ continually dealt with the multitudes, the crowds. They flocked to him. Everywhere he went, multitudes came. Multitudes. Ah, a great number of people flocked to him. He was moved with compassion for the multitudes, the Bible says. He would feed them. He would teach them. He would be with them. Yet, my friend, with the goal and a mindset so big uh, to go and reach the whole world, Christ still always had time to work one-on-one. One-on-one. -on -one. One -on -one. He had the whole world as his goal, but yet he would work one-on-one. -on -one. Don't ever let it be here that we'll just be after numbers and forget about the one. That happens. That happens here and happens almost in every church. It's not good. It's not God. You get a phone call, you answer it. One person. It could have been you. God is concerned with just one person. Yes, there's many people here today, but God's concerned with you. You're special to him. We need to understand that. Uh, when you study the teachings that God gave to Nicodemus, remember that? You must be born again. Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night alone. And it's heavy what Jesus spoke to him. See, Jesus didn't save that sermon for the world conference. Read it in John chapter 3. Powerful sermon. He preached it to how many people? One. Uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, a lot of people say, no, that's a heavy sermon. I'm going to stash it. I'm going to preach it to the conference. Uh, ay, ay, ay. He preached it to one. Or how about the woman at the well? Powerful sermon. To how many people? One. How about the teaching of leaving the 99 to go after the one? And let me ask you, how many souls must be saved before all of heaven rejoices? Very important sermon today. Please be listening. To me, it's very important. Uh, the Bible says, how many souls got to be saved? One. Over all the angels in heaven rejoicing. One, one, one. Just one. One person is important to Jesus, so one person should be important to you and I. We can learn from the way he, the way he taught. Jesus worked on a scale of one. We came into this world alone, and alone we must be born again. Alone you must be born again. See, we're living in a church age when a lot of people are caught up with numbers and statistics. And that's fine and okay, it is, it's okay. But not to the neglect of one soul, did you hear me? But we're living in a time of how many you got? How many you got? How many, how many are in your church, Pastor Steve? Ah. One. Then another one. Then another one. Ah. Yes, my friend, there is a high electricity that runs with a great gathering. You can't beat being at a World Conference Victory Outreach. You can't. People lining up for hours. Hours in advance to get a seat. How many, how many have ever been to a world conference? Is that heavy? Ooh. Um, and then you're there and the first day and everybody's hair lined up and looking real good. And you sit down. And then Pastor Sonny walks out. Uh, comes with that New York strut. He gets a mic real cool. Like Nikki taught him. And he says, oh. And then everybody goes, ah! 17, 18,000 people, ah! You can't beat that. I understand that. A lot of electricity. And yes, my friend, there's something about singing and worshiping and praying with a large multitude. It's beautiful. I love it. Yet still, my friend, Jesus is into quality as much as he is into quantity.
Never forget, nor never omit the power of one. The majority of one. Lastly, and with this I close, I'm getting close to closing. And this is very important. That's why I need to put, bring this out. I've got to stop at number three, but I want to give you number four. It's very, very important. The last thing is that we can learn from Jesus' work that seeming, seeming failure in work can really be coupled in triumph. Things that seem to be a failure can really be a triumph. Work, 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 17 years, and all we got is, you know, we've been doing this. And, man, what a failure. Not really. Not really. Uh, if there was ever a life that seemed to have failed, it was the life of Jesus. Yeah, it was. For a while, people all came around him. The looky-loos, the wannabes, they all hung around. Ooh, this guy's going places and I'm going to go with him. He says he's a king. He says he's going he's to take over Jerusalem. He's going to go in and, take, and, and, and get rid of Rome and I'm with him. People flocked all around him. Because he looked to be a winner. And everybody loves a winner. What did Joe Namath say? Joe Namath said, when you win, nothing hurts. Some of you ladies don't know who Joe Namath is. Some of you men don't know who Joe Namath was. Uh, Joe Namath was a quarterback. Had terrible knees. But he said, hey, when you win, nothing hurts, bro. It all makes up for it because we win. Victory. So when Jesus was a winner, everybody was hanging around. Everybody was a winner. But when Jesus spoke about his death, people left him. Then he died. Everybody abandoned him. Everybody scattered. What happened to the winner? Ah, they deserted him. All of the hopes died with Jesus. Jesus, it seemed, listen to this. It seemed that Jesus had only been a visionary after all. Just a visionary. You know what visionaries are? They, they, they dream high, they talk big, blah, 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 blah. But no, they never accomplished nothing. So when he died, I can imagine Peter and everybody all disenchanted. Man, man, it's over. He was only a visionary. I went for the fried ice cream with chopsticks. Okie doke. He left me hanging around the corner. And he took my money. Got me. Huh? It seemed like his life was a failure to many people. His dreams had ended. His cause had been lost. See, Jesus, rather than being the king of kings, as he claimed, had only been the king of visionaries. Really, that's what it seemed like. He wasn't the king of kings. He was a king of visionaries. It was a big cop out. Wasn't true. Jesus had bravely tried, but he had failed. Bravely he tried. He tried to change things. He tried to make things different, but he's dead. A failure. So it seemed, and so it looked. Uh, he saved others. Himself he couldn't save. But then suddenly, on the third day, Hey, hey, hey. Those of you clapping, you know the end of the story. Uh, those, of you, those of you that are with it, you're with it because you've got it. Uh, all of a sudden, he rose from the dead. He rises. He ascends. The Holy Ghost descends. The Holy Ghost sends people throughout all over the world preaching the gospel. Uh, the work, my friend, is in progress. Uh, he sends us to go work in the fields. 
from failure to triumph. What have I told you before? Only Jesus, only God could claim the worst day that was ever recorded on the annals of history in this planet good. Friday was a terrible day when they crucified him. But what do we call it today? Good Friday. Good Friday. Because only God can take, my friend, something failure into triumph. Because failure with God is never, never, never final. Never. As long as you're breathing, there's hope. So, if your work looks or seems like a failure, it may not be so. It should not be so. Uh, listen, God is to judge what is failure. Not you, not I, not your wife, not your husband, not your pastor. Uh, God decides what's failure and God decides what's success. Mm. Leave it to God. And you just work. You just must be about your father's beeswax. Do what you got to do here. While it's day. For the nighttime comes, no man can work. Uh, I hope you've learned something here today. About working like God worked. He was purposeful. Paul says his heart was set like a flint to go to the cross. He knew what he had to go do. He didn't gripe. He didn't panic. He did what he had to do. That's where we got to work. Just like God taught us. I want every head bowed. And every eye closed. Is God into failure? Sometimes. Is God into success? Sometimes. God is usually into both. He's both. Uh, he's at the cross where there's loss and he's He's where there's pain, there can be gain. He's in both. As every head is bought, never close, Spirit of God, moving in ministry. I want to pray for those of you that are here today. First and foremost, the Holy Ghost has been working on your life. That's his job. To convict you of sin, to convict you of your need, your great need for God's forgiveness. Again, I want to pray first and foremost for you. You need to get right with God. He's been working on you over time because he loves you. I've been working here preaching. I've been laboring, doing what I have to do, but God's been working even harder, much harder on you. That's why he brought you here today. It's your day. It's your time. It's your hour. Won't you make up your mind to give your life to Christ, to give your heart to the Lord? This is your day. If that's you, I want to pray again, first and foremost for you. You see, Brother Steve, I need to get right with God. Yes, God's been working on my heart the whole sermon. The whole time, he's been speaking to me. And I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give him my life. I'm tired of living a lie. I'm tired of working things on my own. I've been toying, I've been laboring on my own, and it seems like I don't get nowhere. Well, I just mentioned to you that I can become a Christian can happen to him too. But it's not true. With you, it's probably true. You've been working hard and laboring and... I need to get right with God. I need forgiveness of sins. I'm going to ask you very quickly from all of this place to lift up your hand. You need forgiveness of sins and quickly put it down. 
Anybody else? Many hands will gone up, but I believe there's more. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Many hands will gone up, but I believe there's more. Today's your day. Today's your day, sir. Today's your day, ma'am. Anyone else? You need forgiveness of sins. This is my last call. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Beautiful. Anyone else? God bless you. You can put your hand down. This is my last call that we're going to pray. You need to get right with God. God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down. Great. Anyone else? This is my last call. You haven't risen up your hand yet, but I'm going to do so now. God bless you up here in the front. Beautiful. Anyone else? This is my last call that we're going to pray. Hallelujah. Anyone else? You haven't risen up your hand yet, but you want to do so now. I was the Spirit of God. God bless you, Mia. You can put your hand down. All but three years old. Raise your hand. Praise God. God bless you. Put your hand down. The Spirit of God will not always strive with man, the Bible says. It means it will not always work. But he's working on you right now. Someday he might not work on you any longer. And he'll let you go. And you know where? To hell. Sad to say, but that's a fact. The Spirit of God will not always work, will not always strive. You need to take advantage of the opportunity that he's working on you, striving with you right now. This is your day. This is your day. This is my last call. So we're going to pray. You haven't risen up your hand yet, but we want to do so now. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Let's all stand. Everybody standing. I'm going to ask those of you that raise your hand to take a second step. And yes, it takes work, but it's valuable work. I'm going to ask those of you that raise your hand to quickly sit by your seat, make your way down to this altar. Let me pray for you. But it's a joyous work. Beautiful work. It's a work well rewarded. My father is always working to this very day. And I too am working. Anyone else, you raised your hand even if you didn't. But you want to be included in this prayer, I'm going to ask you quickly to sit by your seat and make your way into this altar. Let me pray with you, with you. Not just for you, with you. Anyone else, this is my last call. You want to be included in this prayer.